0: Podcast directed by. So, uh, we already had our kind of introduction, um, to Ida Lupino, uh, with our Ida Lupino scholar, Julie Grossman. So we hope you enjoyed that episode. But now, uh, we'll, we'll take a step down. Uh, it's just me and Mike now. Uh, so we're going to be talking about not yeah. wanted in this episode.
1: I'm here to fill in any gaps with the Ida Lupino <laughs> from expertise. the person who wrote a fucking
0: book on Ida Lupino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, thanks for really stepping Maybe. up.
1: Maybe what's missing is some really fresh eyes, <laughs> as in I've seen one of her movies.
0: <laughs> well, so, that puts sure. you one ahead of me, <laughs> because I had seen none of her movies. So it's going to be a little bit different. All right, so uh, how do we describe "Not Wanted"? I mean, we talked a lot of, on that intro episode about the fact that I. Lupino did a lot of kind of social problems pictures, and I think this definitely fits in. Uh, into that category but interestingly i think when this first came out she didn't even get a director's credit she was an uncredited director on on this film and it's interesting we kind of picked she was in... a
1: little hesitant right to take over because this is not like she set out to direct this the there were some health problems with the original film exactly. maker, yeah the, so...
0: the original director had a heart attack so she ended up mm-hmm. ended up stepping in but it's interesting because it does i mean we'll talk about it as we go through the months but it does kind of fit in uh, with her, with her other films. It does, to me at least, feel like an Ida Lupino movie. And we kind of picked and chose, you know, which ones we were going to cover. Cause there are some that don't really fit in to her kind of established style. Like you had mentioned off mic, some of them feel like, oh, this is clearly like a kind of a, you know, just a pay job. Like, okay, step in and do this. Doesn't really fit. And then like her last movie is very different. It's like this, you know, Color movie, uh, you know, about these girls in a nunnery. Like it's, it's like a comedy of errors. that's
1: very different.
0: But this one feels. Well,
1: there's two things, right? There's we have to have an arc in our month. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, if you have the one oddball selection that doesn't really tie in, you're like, well, except for that. I don't shit. know what to say about this. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And and keeping in mind to our listeners, as we've already stated up front, it's not that you and I are passing judgment on any of the films. We're just looking at them as far as what is this about, the time period that it comes in, uh, and so forth. And then there's the the practical, uh, greedy side, the capitalist Dave that's like, anything that's not covered on the feed proper will be behind a paywall. Goddamn right. <laughs> and then you can pay if you want
0: to hear about the odd uh, odd ducks, I guess, in her filmography. That's right. If you really want the full picture of a director, you're going to have to pay at least a dollar. A dollar every month. Come on, $12 <laughs> a year? <laughs> for nothing for a life's work <laughs> we've reduced yes. it down to $1 these, look, these because filmmakers. because we, we are sad. givers mike because we are kind to our listeners only a dollar uh so not wanted if you look at kind of the imdb description it says after a beautiful but unsophisticated girl is seduced by a worldly piano player and gives up her out of wedlock baby her guilt compels her to kidnap another child which like that description feels like it's spoiler filled and tells the whole story, but the movie does open with her kidnapping this child. Um, which is a very it's like... also
1: not like it's not double jeopardy, it's not It's not like she kidnaps a child and is on the run, on the run. for 90 yeah. minutes or anything. Uh, so it's slightly misleading. I agree with you. It does sound like, well, wow, I guess you just told me the whole thing. I <laughs> that little, uh, and who is this? Uh, Gabe, uh, <laughs> Duke1029@aol.com 1029 at AOL.com is responsible for this this very brief summary because I have it up in front of me. Uh, worldly piano player. He thinks highly of Sean Penn's dadness. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, he seems like he travels the world. I don't know if I'd say it's not worldly. like he's he's a uh,
0: sophisticate. He's just kind of a fuck boy. Like I I imagine him going from like town to town picking up women. Like it's not like he's like oh I'm so classy. It's just like I. Loved his introduction in the, the film
1: proper, not our introduction or, uh, you know, Gabe, uh, I guess the giver of IMDb summaries, whoever you are, uh, where he's doing this like, what is this like spoken word? Like, it's like he's doing a, like an obscene hip hop song that people dance to. like what that? That's why I tried to place it at for this time. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the beat generation. He's just banging away on the piano and he's <laughs> telling these really like nihilistic basically free your body do whatever you
0: want because nothing matters
1: that, that those are, i mean I'm, i love i love how vaguely his lyrics
0: i love how vaguely disinterested he is too like the whole time his whole performance like fuck it who cares like you know up, live it up we're all gonna die want. skip a beat
2: and hit it Do it. You won't regret it. Hit it. What are you looking at? Hit it again.
1: Get naked, doesn't matter doesn't matter <laughs> like it's it's not the uh, not the smoothest uh you know snake in the grass that we well, have here as far she as, charm, so. but I mean you know that's one of the things I really dig about this movie is uh this character uh Sally not the the actress uh here who also shares the name, but not the brightest bulb I like that I like like usually when we have characters that make mistakes because mistakes are certainly made here. Um, it's like well, they were the smartest guy in the room, but other things happened to screw them over and there's a really cool sequence that was mentioned in the uh the intro episode with the the actual expert, not us uh <laughs> not, <laughs> certainly <laughs> not, not uh, us <laughs> experts here um the scene with the mother it's the one that i re- i really really dig this scene mm-hmm. because. For about 30 seconds, as the mom runs her mouth in the kitchen, like, God, where are you, what are you doing? Where have you been? Like, what, what, what are you doing with your life, basically? Like, why don't you stay home? Uh, <laughs> as an old man, I can come around to her, like, yeah, just just stay home. Like, you know, it feels <laughs> relaxed. You got your whole life ahead of you. But the film is able to have me see both sides of that. Because the mm-hmm. way her mom approaches that, like her tone, uh, which is... Way more passionate than Sean Penn's dad, the piano player. Um, (laughs) She cares. But it is like this young woman walks in and her mom is just attacking her.
2: That you, Sally? Yes, Mom. It's about time. Gee, it's been a beautiful day. How long do you think it takes to boil potatoes? Ten minutes? I forgot them, Mom. That's fine. So one do you even remember to come home? Did you bring the stuff for that pipe? No, of course you didn't. You're too busy tearing around with a bunch of good-for-nothing hoodlums to ever give your mother and father one single thought. Let me tell you I'm sorry, Mom. So I forgot it. Well, I'll go out and get it now, but do you have to keep at me? If I don't keep at you, you'll end up like all the rest of those little snips you run around with. Been to my feet since 6.30 this morning. All I asked you for was a pound of potatoes and something to plug that pipe with. But no, you got more important things to think about. Well, let me tell you something, young lady. You can eat stew without potatoes. You can sit under a leaky ceiling for the rest of your life, as far as I'm concerned. You just don't want to help me that That's though. not true, Ma, and you know it. So I forget things once in a while. Well, you'd have to keep nagging at me. If I nag at you, it's for your own good. Because I don't want you to slave around a kitchen for the rest of your life like I... Because I want you to meet a respectable man who can do things for you. How do you ever expect to get anywhere, hanging around with a lot of drugstore idiots?
0: Angie, why don't you leave her alone? Get so I can to help myself think.
2: You haven't had a thought in your head for the last ten years, so just keep out of this. I know what I'm doing.
1: Like, up and down, not giving her any room to, like, speak. And basically, it's like, you're you're about to mess up your entire life. And you know what it could turn out to look like? It could look like me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <whoa.
0: laughs> Is that what you want? Like, hate
1: your father, hate my life, <laughs> do not do what I did. And I don't, I don't, I think that had to be different for this time period. Like, yeah. if this is, I struggle with this one for people who are going to be new to it because I think this is one of those times it's a film that I really like and I'm coming to it way late. But I could easily see people sort of dismissing it as like after school. Especially is if they just sort of read the synopsis and like the probably the first minutes of it. Sure. Because uh, the, the movie gets weird. It gets weird with – su- it's a subject matter of like if you get pregnant, you, know, you can really mess up your life and you're going to have a lot of regret. And there's certainly that. But the way that she shoots this or stages these sequences, uh, it, it really gets into this like sort of seedy, dark underbelly that is not just a – like, you should have listened to your your mom. Because, like, like I said, in that sequence, the mom is saying, I hate my life, too. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you mm-hmm. if the film, at different points, it's suggesting think for yourself. But it's also, like, positioning this young lady as someone who really, like, is going to make a lot of mistakes in her life. Even this one, which may be the biggest one, I don't think at the end of it, we're like, well, she learned her lesson. I, I mean, she's still going to have an awful lot of regret, mm-hmm. given the fact that it's a movie about giving up a child.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because I think most movies of this time and especially a little bit before, and this was made in 1949, had very clear messaging. And a lot of that had to do with like the code, uh, that was used in film, like especially in the 30s and 40s. Uh, but this does kind of straddle that line. It, at least to me, it came off like, make your own decisions, but be careful. You know, be aware. Uh, because, you know, one false move and you could be in a really bad spot. And it does set up these kind of two, it has these kind of two leading men. Um, one of them clearly being the quote unquote smarter choice and the other being the cad, you know, the, the piano player who you can't trust. Um, uh, but you mentioned the way, uh, Lupino shoots this and this is what impressed me most about this movie, especially given this is the first thing she ever directed. Like this, this is so sharp and so professional and so, every it's like every shot she's there's something she's trying to get across and she kind of succeeds at at every every step of the way like what really stuck out to me is there's this very dreamy shot when she's watching the piano player and it's got to be like one of the best and first instances of seeing female desire on film that just wasn't really something that was done in early film history and it didn't have to be over the top all you had to have Was that kind of wistful look in her eye and her her be wearing that outfit that bears her shoulders, you know, against her mother's wishes and have that shot and us looking at that piano player from her perspective. And we get it. We get not only that she's about to make a mistake, but we kind of get why. Like being that young, making mistakes, you know, with the people you spend time with, with who you have sex with. And of course, at this time, like if you make a mistake and you and you get pregnant, like it's it's pretty bad. For this woman, especially given this is not the honorable guy who's going to be like, well, I guess we got to get married now. Got you pregnant. That's not that's not what he's going to do. So like just the way she shoots this as a first time director and someone stepping in late is pretty impressive work.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I read it like a lot of the decisions here because it's not like we know too much about this young woman's home life. That brief sequence with the mom that I, I really enjoyed where it's like, okay, it's not picture perfect. It's not like, uh, you know, they've got the, the white picket fence and like this sort of conservative, like simple life, like whatever that is. It's inside the home. It's revealed to be a facade. Like it seems like at the drop of the hat, the mother will be like, this sucks. <laughs> like, so, right. I don't know what their neighbors think, uh, but at least inside that the daughter is well aware that like, well, I don't want to do that. And wh- what I really liked about the movie is we have. Like you could go something far more uh, positive and maybe light, at least for stretches, uh, like Almost Famous is one about, uh, you know, a young kid who just cannot wait to be an adult. He can't Mm -hmm. wait to be in it. And like that's in that film, it's about a young man sort of posing as older uh, because he's got the the sort of intellect, but he doesn't have the life experience to be able to go out on the road with all these these rock idols of his. Uh, I, I like this. I'm not saying I like the film necessarily better because I don't. <laughs> I don't think this has as much general appeal as something like Almost Famous uh, does now. Although I don't know, check with <laughs> check with millennials. The further we get away from the 70s, I don't know if Almost Famous will feel as Mike, alien. I'm not. As, I'm, not, uh, not I'm not ready for that.
0: I'm not ready for that.
1: Well, I, I just I have to like I have to remind myself that I'm like, ooh, I don't know how that plays in 2020. I, I don't know, but um, I I'm definitely down for. Uh off mic, I was, I was giving you a hard time about uh, <laughs> your reaction uh, and I guess my reaction to Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, and used a word that I really liked. But I like it. I don't like it so much there. I don't like it because you're defending something that you really liked and <laughs> I thought was perfectly <laughs> serviceable. <laughs> but I like it here. Uh, the, this yearning that you're saying that you you really like in that particular, I guess, style of romance film mm-hmm. where it's this like – to me, I find it incredibly agitating. <laughs> I just, Imagine me, going I want, through it, straight I man. One, <laughs> I, I want what happens and not want it. I want them to get to it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the problem here is this young lady is so ready for adulthood. She just is ready to, to just see what her life can become. And you mentioned like the one false step. I, I really like that the film never portrays this piano player as like a real catch. Like oh, I do no. think that we, the filmmaker, we're looking at it with adult eyes, as far as like, yeah, that's not. And it's interesting how they play the the other character of uh, Drew, who I guess would be like the, um, like literally damaged nice guy. Like he has experience as as far as physically has has brought back wounds with him. Uh, and I I, I think for this type of film, I would expect them to lean more into like, well, when she gets her head on straight. She'll swoon over the sky mm-hmm. and the film ends. It ends with this climactic chase sequence, which yes. we see. And you know how much I love rom-coms. There's always a chase, right? A yeah. chase to get the girl. It feels like a nightmare.
0: Yeah.
1: It, that, that's, what, that's what I really like about the way this film, it is not an after school special because it goes in these weird sort of tonal directions that makes it just a really odd thing
0: to be watching, especially from 1949. Yeah, I it's interesting. I watched this twice and that only because not because I was like, Oh god, I just I gotta watch this again, but because I watched it a couple of weeks ago and then before the recording I wanted to kind of reacquaint myself with it. Um and that chase sequence is so interesting to me. Um, because it it starts off a little bit like a kind of horror sequence where he is chasing after her and she's running and then it turns into like at the very end kind of, kind of seeing him almost as pathetic, like him like falling on the ground and then hurt turning and seeing him and then goes to him. But it does make you wonder, like after the credits roll, like where where does this go, man? I literally, like it could go any yeah. one of three or four directions, which I like. And it, it's interesting to me that he is, I think he is propped up in 1949 as the catch. He's the, out of the two, he's the one you should be with, even though he's, but it's interesting that they also show his injury they show his like weird hobbies, like his like weird fixation you're with trains. Train train <laughs> what like, kind of man are you, Dave. Well, I mean, it's like not even a judgment. Already, it's, it's not even a judgment. Yeah. But like, that's that's what you're gonna do for your first date. Like, you need to hold some of that shit back, buddy. <laughs> like, you need to show her that on date five or six when you know she likes you.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> you it's, it's kind of cool to to place him against the piano player because the the, mm-hmm. the nihilist at the the keys. Yeah, it's like I thought it was gonna be great there's like a thousand just like me. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of uh, these stupid dives and these pianos. Like there's gotta be something better if I can get out of the country. And I don't know where the guy thinks that, or if it's just a line he's feeding her, like I'm getting as far away from you as possible. But there was something very refreshing to me. And I'm also like you, I watched this twice, but uh, mainly because I watched this around Christmas time and Mm. it is now May. So i probably should you know it was, yeah. it was wise of me Good call. to check this out you know i went to the the first episode and i'm like oh that's not the expert's job to give me a complete scene by scene breakdown of this not <laughs> so anymore I probably should watch it again <laughs> not anymore uh i i, I kind of dug the i guess the earnest nature of this guy where he says you know this is what i'm about and he actually apologizes kind of for like oh yeah maybe i should have told you sooner about my leg mm-hmm. you know sometimes it gets in the way sometimes you know i'm a bit of a klutz like he it's this weird, like I'm being open, almost like you're saying to a fault on these mm-hmm. dates. As far as like he's not even hiding the stuff that maybe a guy would be like, uh, I'll wait till she like shows a lot of interest in me before I tell her how much I fucking love trains and I've got toys <laughs> in this other room. Uh, it's it's very different from the piano player, but I I, th- I understand why she would she would favor that guy because. The piano player allows her to have a blank canvas of what her life could be, mm-hmm. as far as where they're gonna end up, uh, the type of people she'll, she'll meet, and this open book guy who is literally standing at the very end outside after she has this traumatic experience where she's attempted to kidnap a child and comes out and is, I guess, let off, but is reminded again. She's literally reminded by an authority figure of like, "You're gonna live with this shame for the rest of your life." Like you're, you've already imprisoned yourself forever it's I mean, it's a yeah. hellacious comfort speech of saying okay nothing legally is gonna happen to you but man i wouldn't want to be luck. you she comes out <laughs> and this guy's waiting for her and i think that was very scary it's like you know she if anything she probably has a lot more years where she like does not want to reveal anything about this particular time in her life she's not ready to be an open book just yet because she has had so many years of adulthood like she's had basically an entire life that she's envisioned uh, there's also a sequence where she's like, I kinda of wondered what she thought about this. She's asking many times, like she doesn't listen to her mother, which is fine. And she doesn't really listen to the piano player when he's like, Uh, I made no promises to you. Like I do not want whatever this is between us. But she's even asking like other people, like, what would you do in my situation? She's asking the baby, like, Do you think we could make this work? Tell me just tell me that, you know, when I'm away working, that you can change your own diapers. And she has this like little moment of like, you know, what if, but she, you know, she's not crazy, but she, you can tell she's just running through the like, you know, my life could go this way or this way. So she has this weird thing where she wants someone to tell her what to do, but the <laughs> the people that are most forward about doing so, she rebels against. So I think it's a really cool, like, and actually smart look at youth. Because I I mm-hmm. I think that's accurate to that time period where you yes. take comfort in certain people giving you advice, but then other people you're like, oh, what
0: do you know? <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think that scene in particular was was really affecting. Actually, like her talking to this baby, like, can I can I do this? Because I think if you were alone and trying to make that decision, that's a that's a process you have to go through. Not necessarily talking to a baby and asking them what's going to happen that's hyper hyper specific and (laughs) dangerous yes (laughs) but just like running through like what this is going to be like but i think you're right as far as how it looks at youth because like you know i think back to when i was in high school and i was shithead to my parents and not listening to anything they said Uh, i'm sure my mother could tell you many many stories about how she told me exactly what i should do and i went fuck you mom not gonna do that i'm gonna find my own way and then end up Figuring out, you know, years later, huh, probably should have listened. That probably would have been a good call. But if someone like – someone I knew in school who was two or three years ahead of me, who I saw stupidly at that point as, like, worldly and experienced, if they said it, then I'd be like, oh, well, maybe I should listen to you because you've got it together, senior in high school. You really know what's going on. So I think there is some of that in all of us, in our youth, where we are – craving some level of guidance um but only from certain people and god certainly not from mom and dad like the absolute worst person who could ever give advice is your mom and dad um the thing i was thinking of i keep kind of coming back to the these two men in her life because i think they're i think uh the writer of this film is doing this on purpose they make them as different as they can be and i find it really interesting um that uh the character of drew um the actor's name is Keith Purcell. He'll be in the next movie we cover, too, actually, as a as a male lead. And I found it really interesting that they kind of – maybe you'll disagree with this, but they kind of portray him to me as sexless, like especially in comparison to the piano player. Like it's he's... the fucking trains again, isn't it? You just
1: yeah. – <laughs> a, a guy playing with toy trains, just... yes. I, Dave, it's it's a layup. It's not, it's, not...
0: <laughs> it's not just the trains. It's the fact like he's definitely into her. Like he cares about her. He wants to take her out. He's interested in her romantically, but there's there's just no palpable chemistry between the two of them. And I think you get that with her and Leo. Like, you get that there's something there. Even if on his end it's purely physical, uh, once you get to Drew, it's kind of like, "Hi, oh, he's so nice. That's boring. Well, I mean, <laughs> their meet-cute is her on a
1: bus, right, on her way to track down this piano player. And he's like, hey, sorry if my— Bag smells. I went on a fishing trip.
0: This guy sucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, jeez. Very I smooth. I took Drew. That back
1: again, I was like, wait, what? People could carry, in no studies, they could just, just carry fish, fish with them on the bus. Damn, that uh, seems like bad I, bus been...
0: etiquette. You know, like that's. You it's like it's like cooking fish when you work in an office. Like, just come on. You gotta you gotta rent a car
1: yeah, or something. I mean, unless you're you're trolling like Office Space, where you're <laughs> gutting fish in your cubicle, uh, I I found it refreshing because I think even the quote unquote nice guy, especially in film, uh, often comes across as very predatory anyway. And I'm like you, like as part of that sort of asexual nature is he just seems like he does seem genuine as far as like, Oh, you need a place to stay. That would be good. Oh, you need a job. I can, I can help you out there. There's an egg salad sandwich. You.
0: It's good for you. You
1: know? Yeah. Like he, and I think he's totally the wrong guy for this particular age where, mm-hmm. especially someone that is, like I said, wants a big canvas to like envision her life on. Uh, normally, Small. I'm not saying small-minded as far as like this. Is. I don't know what his uh, his views are in particular, like social justice, like issues or anything. I'm not saying he's like small-town ignorance here, because he seems to be incredibly warm and mm-hmm. open to like whatever she's involved in, and he's not gonna like overstep. He'll be supportive. Um, I just think it's like the difference between what two people in their lives would want. Like there are some people that don't dream big and they're not punished as largely as the dreamers are. And in this case, I mean, this this poor Sally character gets smacked in the face repeatedly by people for, for yeah. having <laughs> her first step out into like having a, an adventure of sorts. Uh, it doesn't go well. And th- this guy obviously has different life experience because he's been wounded and he doesn't really get in that. I, I kept expecting a big scene mm-hmm. to like kind of, Feel some darkness there, and I'm glad that they they really, really don't. Uh, I mean, it's the most predatory thing he does is just chase her at the end, and even that feels supportive because right. she's clearly upset, and <laughs> it doesn't work for you because you call him pathetic by the end of the film. <laughs> but you're right, like that the way the the final shot closes, it's like a lot of people reference The Graduate, right, for mm-hmm. that for that moment where it's like you can tell the two characters are like okay what's next what do we do and now it doesn't look, yeah yeah I, this this seems like a, a precursor to that like it, i mean not clearly not as famous but uh sure i don't know i, I dug the whole thing i compared it when i watched her on christmas time because i like was on such a like a tear about hating uncut gems I and like listening saw to that review on, on about that i thought like okay this is this particular manic energy i get from a young woman and I firmly believe something like uncut gems if it was from a female perspective and and problems that only a woman could have as far as, uh, you know, this unwanted pregnancy, what to do about it, all of that, uh, you know, that would never seem as cool or edgy or fun like this actually gave me anxiety watching it Mm -hmm. uncut gems i just wanted to see bad things happen to
0: adam sandler well i think and that was it i I think that's the the key difference between them for me is i mean there's a lot of key differences between those two movies but one of them is kg (laughs) yeah whoever kg was yeah 1949 (laughs) who would that be um Otto graham who is the um but i think in not wanted there's characters you care about there's there's characters to root for um Whereas, you know, in that other movie, not so much. I mean, there are people who like those characters very much as viewers, but I don't think they're designed to be people you're like, oh, if they could only just win this one bet, they'll be okay. But I think you do feel that way about Not Wanted. Like, if something could just go her way, she'll be all right. Um, But nothing really goes her way in this entire movie. I think one of the things that struck me, and I think this is just a difference between 2020 and 1949. Like, if you look at the poster, it's a very shock value poster, you know, uh, Ida Lupino's not wanted, unwed mother, her story, the nation's problem. Like, it's very in your face. And I expected it almost to oh, be... Oh, how quaint. <laughs> right? The nation's problem. Right? Uh, sounds like a great problem, actually. Um, but I think uh if you made a similar movie now, I think they would probably beat this character up even more. Like, she would be really put through the ringer. And this seems to still root for her even as things are going poorly for her, which I kind of enjoyed. I kind of enjoyed that there's, there's really only one purely negative character here uh, in the piano player, but everyone else, you're kind of, you know, it's the only moment uh, that Drew has, you know, moment that's not so good is when he goes to like visit her and then realizes that she's pregnant with someone else's kid and kind of hightails it out of there. Like he's just like, oh, I gotta go. And I like the fact that the twist is actually he's a really nice guy and he comes back. Like, even after all this, you know, in 1949, like, coming back to An Unwed Mother is a big – that's a grand gesture. Like, that is – you know, it's Mm -hmm. a different time than 2020. So, you know, I I liked that the movie kind of kept me on my toes. And I think, you know, when I talked to other people who had seen a couple of um, Ida Lupino's movies, there's this idea behind it, like, oh, they're kind of – you know, they're film noir-ish. They're kind of grimy. They're kind of dirty. So I was expecting, like, I don't know, something – uh seedier uh than this but like it it is a movie that roots for its characters so that that kind of surprised me with like because all i'd known about ida lapino is kind of the hitchhiker is the big one that people talk about a lot and that is you know apparently just like just a very violent very in-your-face movie and this like does care about its characters and i also like the way it starts out that it's you know we have that kind of here's the end and now we're going to tell you the whole story because it is a shocking moment where you find out like she's just stolen a baby, like, and then it's like, okay, I'm gonna need some explanation here. But I think in 90 minutes, I think Lupino does a good job of explaining exactly how she got to that point, and then still leave you rooting for her even at the end.
1: Well, clearly you're you're no Drew, who's too you nice. Know, he, he, he takes a moment and he's supportive. Uh, maybe because he has an outlet with his toy trains. So he's, he's a he sucker. He's a sucker. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I don't know I I don't know if our uh, generally speaking this doesn't have anything to do with not wanted although maybe you would need a palate cleanser if the if you find this film affecting dear listener uh yeah I I on my rewatch I was like oh great this uh this is not what I need in uh, pandemic living <laughs> like this I've got enough anxiety I mean. man <laughs> yeah yeah um you know um what what are your go tos Dave in that regard like because I, I feel like Cinephiles and film Twitter. I mean, just stories in general are based around conflict usually, mm-hmm. and so we are going to have a little sneak preview of someone else's problems that are hopefully <laughs> usually larger than our own. So what you know, what what would be a film that you would say like, okay, after you've had your your full course meal with not wanted, take it down a notch and just relax because hmm. you don't you don't play with trains. You don't have that.
0: So what? So you are you, are you, so you, to are you asking a for person? a for another movie that's like focusing on people's problems or something that's like a comfort, like let me get away from this. Which one are you?
1: <laughs> well, I'm afraid if you give me the former, you're going to come across as a giant ass. Where you're like, yeah, here's something about people's problems, but it really calms me down just to see them suffer. <laughs>
0: so let's go with the latter, Dave. Let's just go. With I'll give comfort, you your comfort. I'll, I'll give you both. Uh, I think the one that's like, it's still a little anxiety provoking, but has characters you root for and, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, has a bit of a happy ending is something like Rounders. Uh, it's pretty anxiety provoking, but the way that film wraps up does, you know, like, okay nice uh but you're you're clearly (laughs) not a territory where you open with a man
1: losing every penny he owns (laughs) everything and then the next scene he's driving a bus it's a story of triumph mike
0: it's great i lost it all pay that man his money (laughs) um but like and you should know the answer to this if i'm looking for like a pure comfort watch i will always 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 turn to big fish uh from tim burton that's my comfort movie because uh, death what? death what? yeah but it's about the passing <laughs> on to to your kids it's storytelling it's it's nice like <laughs> no I, uh,
1: I have one in mind uh okay. that will not will not play as uh as well because oh, good. Uh, it, it's it's on the brain it's on the brain and it's probably someone that's banned from uh this podcast uh, is Woody Allen. Woody Allen. I just oh, rewatched. Of <laughs> I just rewatched Midnight in Paris. Um, oh, I can see There was that. a a documentary on a a bookstore, a, a gay bookstore that was on Netflix
0: a couple weeks ago. Did you oh, check yeah, it out? No, not yet, but uh, it's it's on my queue. It's definitely a, something something I want to check out. For sure. I liked
1: it. I I thought it was. I I liked it. Um, it it manages to uh sort of escape its trappings that the the filmmaker is the daughter of the subject, hmm. which can get you know, mm, difficult there uh, as far as yep. being objective. But uh, that movie caused me like for another podcast, I was like, I want to do like a theme of like a literary double life. So that's how I ended up in Midnight in Paris territory. Sure. As I said, podcast directed by Woody Allen. Mm. I I do not see you
0: promoting that on
1: Twitter. <laughs> oh, no, man. That's
0: <laughs> <sorry>. Patreon only. <laughs> A whole month we're going to go silent on the main feed (laughs) and fill up that Patreon. No, but Midnight in Paris is a really good choice. Like, I mean, Woody Allen certainly has problems personally, but that movie, it's got that kind of magical realism to it. It's got that, Mm. like, exploration. It's a nice, like, out of all Woody Allen movies, it might be, like, the nicest journey uh, as you're watching the movie. Like, it does feel comfortable and enjoyable and magical, and it's nice. You know, most well, of his I movies mean, are...
1: He's repeating himself, right? So there's that comfort of like, okay, I've seen this type of thing, but he adds a little bit of a twist to it. There's a twist, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me <laughs> just give uh, Editor Day of a cue here because there's, <laughs> uh, there's a negative review that I really liked on Letterboxd that kind of touches on that. Keep in mind, I gave it, I'm gave i like five stars on Midnight in Paris. I'm like, I love this movie. It's one I return back to. But there's... I would love the, the ones, the reviews that are diametrically opposed to my thinking and they still manage to like I shake my head like yeah that's yeah that's, that's true right too <laughs> and you hated this. So this goes with the uh the comfort aspect of it. This is a review from Parker. I really also don't like letterbox as far as shouting people out. Um at final Parker on Twitter <laughs> his review went the other way, two and a half stars. We're in the stand in for Woody Allen is praised by all the greatest writers of all time. Three women fall in love with him. That was the review,
0: and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, why I like this. That's, that's <laughs> fitting. I mean, at least it's not Woody Allen. I mean, you know, it's someone a little better are, looking. We're really off the so...
1: the rails here, but I actually think Owen Wilson might be the greatest Woody Allen stand-in. That's an obviously mm-hmm. like playing Woody Allen, because there've been some really bad ones that I don't know, like uh, like I don't think it worked with what Eisenberg.
0: Yeah, I was gonna he say was not your those. favorite.
1: I think, uh, was it, uh, Kenneth Brano that was the worst in celebrity? Was he, oh, he was doing yeah. like a direct impression? Woody Allen? Not good. This has been our Woody Allen episode. Yeah. For a female this filmmaker. is as close as we're going to get to a Woody Allen episode.
0: <laughs> but at least we both liked Not Wanted. That's a happy surprise because I think both of us walked into this relatively blind to Ida Lupino's work. Um, I mean, I think I just the, wanted to go back to this time period and I found it fascinating,
1: which you all covered. Very well in the introduction episode, uh, a woman working in this time period and sort of just like pushing people aside. Like, now I can do this. Like, I'll have a seat at the table. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, uh, it is depressing that there's not the, you know, considering like this is going to make me sound bad, but it's like (laughs) in that context, in that time period, I can kind of justify my mind that she's like the sole perspective for half the fucking population but it's really sad that there's not been more uh, progress made on that front as far as the percentages go
0: yeah yeah i mean there's more than one now but you know we're we're closer to one than we are to 50 50 so (laughs) that is upsetting for sure all right, um, so that's it for this episode. On our next episode, we'll be covering a movie called Never Fear, um, which probably held a pretty close place for Ida Lupino because it was about a girl who contracted polio, uh, which Ida Lupino did in her real life. Uh, so probably hit pretty close to home, so it'll be interesting to kind of take a look at that. Um, and then if you uh, donate to our Patreon at patreon.com, Slash a podcast directed by soon we'll have an episode on outrage and hard, fast, and beautiful just for our Patreon listeners. And we'll move forward on our main feed. Um, so if you'd like to hear more from us other than Patreon, you can also find us on Twitter and our Twitter is at directed by podcast.